Today, we consider what we live for. You go to work, you pursue all those things you're told will make you happy. So why aren't you happy? <laughs> Welcome to Run With Horses. My name is Norman and my goal is to help you thrive as a disciple of Jesus. There are a lot of things you could do. There are a lot of things you could choose to do with your life. But I don't, I don't think there's anything more worthwhile than joining Jesus on His great mission of reconciliation. Life is an incredible process of spiritual growth. So thank you for letting me be part of your journey. Well, I was perusing the church library, and I like to do that, particularly a library like the one here where there's quite a few older books, and sometimes there's some real gems there. I came across a book by Leroy Imes, and I've read only one other book by him, and that other book I really loved, it was called The Lost Art of Disciple-Making. And I came across that book probably 15, 18 years ago as I was just really beginning my journey of understanding what it means to be a disciple-maker. Well, I highly recommend that book, Leroy Imes, The Lost Art of Disciple-Making. And as I read that book and got started on this process, you know, it, it really started a journey that hasn't ended yet. Now I found this other book, and I kind of get the impression it might have been written earlier. I didn't check the dates of the two, but the book that I found this week is called What Every Christian Should Know About Growing. And it is also very much a book about disciple-making, about discipleship, about your personal walk with Christ. So, as I was reading it, one chapter really caught my attention. I wanted to share some of the thoughts from it this week, particularly the first section of this chapter. The first section opens with a discussion of life and kind of the meaning of life, the purpose of life. And he opened with this big picture idea that a lot of people, even going back here, and I think this was written in the 70s, a lot of people find life incredibly dull. <laughs> they just see no color in life. And he said that some people, would, even at the time, were asking, is there life after birth? <laughs> It's kind of a joke. But the campus newspaper at the time said they did a, a contest to find a slogan for life. And there were three honorable mentions that he thought were worth talking about in the context of this discussion. One is, life is a bad joke that's not funny. And you say again, a lot of people, why are we here? What, what's the purpose? Another one was, life is a disease for which there is no cure. Again, this idea of hopelessness. And the last one, life is a jail sentence you get for being born. Now, I do understand that in the context of a college campus newspaper contest, these weren't all said seriously, but there are a lot of people who really do believe that. They go through life and really feel like, what's the point? There's just no rhyme or reason. I'm not getting ahead. I'm just always behind. My life has no meaning, no purpose. Part of the evidence for that, you can see, sadly, is in the increase of the death of people from 25 to 64, particularly over the last several years. From In that age range, there are a couple of things driving an increase in the death rate. Drug overdoses, huge, huge problem in the United States today. Suicide. I, I heard today that they're saying... I want to say last year, that the number of suicides in America was just a little less than 50,000. I want to say 46 or 47,000 people. And it's the highest number since 
they began keeping records and, and knowing about the, the suicide rate. So that's incredible. Um, and then the, the third category is alcohol-related. And the article, which I put a link for that in our, our show notes, uh, it's on uh, pbs.org as part of their news hour show. And it, the, the title of the article is Why Mortality for Young Americans is Increasing at an Alarming Rate. The article talked about these specific three kinds of um, deaths as being deaths of despair. Deaths of despair. Well, it makes sense if a lot of people are looking at their life and saying, my life has no point, it's just meaningless, why am I here? Then yeah, they're committing suicide. They're they're giving up. There's no there's no point. There's no reason to go on. As I was reading this chapter and going on, there's a a chapter a, a paragraph that I thought was worth worth reading to you. It says a person can struggle to make it to the top of the financial heap and be bitterly disappointed. So going along with these deaths of despair and people saying it's it's not worth it, you have all the people who try really hard and do fairly well in life. And they, they reach their goals, their, the pinnacle of success. They reach the goals they intended to get. And what they find is, it's not all it's cracked up to be. Uh, Imes goes on and says, My friend who lives at the pinnacle of financial success says when you make it to the top, you find broken marriages, high blood pressure, heart attacks, ulcers, alcoholism, drugs, and suicide. But most people don't believe that, so they keep on climbing. <laughs> you know, that's... That's the reality. People who make it and are successful by the world standards end up saying, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. It wasn't always worth it. It's kind of, it's the definition of insanity, trying the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Look throughout history and see how many people that were rich and successful and all of the accoutrements of success that the world has to offer and still were miserable absolutely miserable. They had plenty of money, they had fame, have all these things, but they're miserable. Why is that? Well, ultimately, it's not complicated. You know, man is a, a spiritual being. Imes points out that we have four key areas of personal development if we're to be healthy. If you want to be a balanced person who is healthy, who is capable of approaching life and, and doing well, not just successful financially, but you want to do well uh, physically, mentally, all those things. There's four areas. One is intellectual. You know, you need a certain amount of intellectual stimulation. You need to be growing in your understanding and your thinking. It's definitely part of it. Unfortunately, in the United States and many of the Western countries, we have promoted intellectual above everything else, and we just neglect the other categories. But intellectual is one of those. You need to be mentally stimulated. The second one is physical. You need to be uh, reasonably physically healthy. And there are a certain percentage of people in the world who that is their number one. They spend all of their energy and even their intellectual energy in pursuing how to live longer, live better, be healthier, be stronger, uh, slow down the aging process, all those things. So physical definitely is part of it. You, you need to be aware that your health is uh, affects your ability to deal with stress it affects your, uh, your spiritual life. It affects your relationships. I mean, your health is important, but it's not the only thing. Uh, the third one is spiritual. 
And we are spiritual beings. We have to recognize that God created us for relationship with him. And then the fourth one is social. So we do need interaction with other people. And this last few years, as everyone has been shut away and, and avoided other people because they're scared, well, we have learned the social aspect is huge. And I think this huge climb in the number of suicides has a lot to do with this breakdown of the social aspect. So intellectual, physical, spiritual, and social, all those are important. If you leave one out, you're really not going to be a healthy person. And you notice that your finances are not really a big part of that once you cross a certain level. If you're taking care of your basic needs for shelter and food, then the rest of it, it's not really going to be helped by more. Uh, you're, you can be intellectually stimulated and not have a lot of money. You can be healthy. You can have good social uh, relationships and a good social community network. Uh, you can be spiritually fulfilled. That's not related to your fame and your fortune. Uh, but too often, we just we put finances above all of those categories, and we pursue fame and fortune at all cost. It's interesting and important to recognize that a lot of these things, God has made us uh, to desire Him, to need Him. And when we pursue anything else, then we we react in a certain way. And one of the big things that we see in our life when we avoid God, when we, when we leave God, is fear and how fear plays out uh, in our life. It, it can be devastating. It can be really uh, constricting. Uh, it can be really life-altering. We, people make massive changes in their life to avoid certain things that they're afraid of. But, you know, God answers those and intends for us not to be fearful and not just to be able to bear trials and struggles in life, but to be joyful in the middle of them. I'll give you a couple examples. First, many people live in constant fear of death. And whether that's going back to the physical, they're afraid of physically breaking down sickness. Uh, COVID brought out a lot of that. Or they're afraid of cancer or they're just afraid of getting old. So they're overemphasize the physical aspect and, and eating perfect and exercising just really uh, intensely. Well, if fear of death drives you, then you're missing a lot. God answers this fear of death for us. He tells us in 1 John 5, 13, that God's Word, the Bible was written, John, particularly 1 John was written, these things have I written to you, believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Our life is not limited to this physical hundred years or so that you have the potential to live. It's beyond that. It goes on. And what we have in Christ, in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, we have the hope of eternity. We have the hope of a resurrection. We have the hope that our life goes on beyond our expiration date on this earth. Well, if you understand that, then death doesn't have the same hold over you. That's one of the things that the New Testament particularly talks about is how Jesus broke the chains of, of death. You know, death has power over you. If you feel like this life's all you got, then death takes that away. But if your wealth is not in this life, but it's in the presence of God, death doesn't take that away. It takes you to that, where you do receive your eternal reward. So second, many people live in fear of financial problems. I mean, they just seem like there's always somebody that's in financial uh, trouble. 
And that's never going to change in this life. You know, even if you do well, if you're a good financial steward, you, you still can have things happen that can take away all of your finances, your your house, and, and all of those things can be gone in an instant. Uh, as I'm recording this, uh, we just have been hearing the news about the fire in Hawaii. And so many people lost their home and, and over 100 people lost their life. So many people live in fear of losing all that they've gathered, all that they've collected in this life. Well, Philippians 4.19 tells us, And my God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. We have what we want, what we desire, our material goods, but God says He supplies what we need. And those two things are often miles apart. What we need and what we want, what we think we deserve, and what we have. <laughs> but God supplies what we need. And ultimately what we need is preparing us for that eternity. This this temporary life, this temporary time here, uh, is it's not what we need. It's what we want, but life goes on beyond this life. Third, many people are in constant fear just about the future in general. You don't know what the future holds. Well, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. God knows what the future holds. He knows what you need. And He promises to go with you. We're afraid of the future. Well, God says, trust me, I know what the future holds. Not only do I know what the future holds, I control the future. The future's in my hand. You can trust me. If you really understand that God's doing something, that history is uh, in His hand, that He's doing something in and through history, then you can relinquish your control. You can relinquish that fear and say, you know, I trust that God is going to do a good thing because I know who He is. And that requires us to do a lot of what I'm always talking about here. You need to know what God's Word says about who God is. You need to know His character and the characteristics of God. If you know that you can trust Him, then you can relinquish that fear and know that tomorrow it's going to be just fine because God is already there. So, I guess the last example, many people are afraid of being alone and just unheard, like their life doesn't count. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 says, Let your conduct, conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have, for He Himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? You know, God promises us to go with us. That unknown future into all those things that we dread, that we fear. He says he's going to be with us. He's going to help us. There's no reason to fear. There is nothing that man can do to us that really is, is going to hurt us beyond a little bit of time in this, in this life. And all the trials of this life are temporary. I mean, they may go on for all of this life. But again, it's temporary. Compared to eternity, it's a dot. But we struggle with that because we're, we're in the here and now. So it's very difficult to let go of the future when we feel its presence so much. We, we really are anchored in today. And so we struggle then to let go of tomorrow. So I guess the question we have to ask is, what is it that makes this life bearable? So many people, as we talked about in the beginning, they feel like, well, this life just has no color. It's just, it's dull. It's boring. My life has no real meaning. And you see people that drown their sorrows in alcohol and drug addiction or that, that go their way of, of suicide and say, I just, I quit. I'm not going to do it anymore. Well, what gives us joy where the world offers only despair? Well, I, I wanted to turn just a minute to Ephesians chapter 3 
uh, verses 14 to 21 really are the, the main ones here. But Paul here, as he writes to the Ephesians, he says, you know, I, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he's, he's, this is part of his prayer, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man. So Paul is praying for the Ephesians that they would be strong. One of the things we're lacking in this life is, is real spiritual strength. So we have that uh, intellectually, we're, we're knowledgeable, but not intellectually strong. Uh, there's a whole issue today with the whole idea of truth is not accepted. It's, it's, uh, it's very difficult to understand how society functions without accepting that there is actually truth. Well, Paul says, I want you to be strong in your inner being, in your inner man, who you really are. And that's going to be strengthened through God, through the Holy Spirit. He says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you be rooted and grounded in love. So faith and love are two things that definitely go a long way toward making this life bearable. If you have faith that God is in control, it's definitely going to help you make better decisions. It's going to help you look at the future and not be afraid. But if you don't have faith, everything's up for grabs. Where is real meaning? And being rooted and grounded in love is really, really important. And there's two... There's two relationships in which that is, is so important when we think about our life and, and really wanting to have a life that's not just bearable, but that is, is worth living. We have our relationship with God and the love that He has for us and the love that we have for Him. If you understand that God loves you, that He chose you, you're going to look at your life differently. So many people feel like, my life just doesn't count. I, nobody cares about me. Somebody does care about you. And God has gone... Uh, in a <laughs> made a lot of effort to show you how much he cares for you. You know, Jesus came and shared his message as he walked the earth and taught his disciples. He left them the authority to continue sharing that message. He went to the cross, he went to the grave, and he came out of the grave all in an effort for God to show you how much that he loves you. You were chosen. The Bible says before the foundation of the world. You were chosen to receive God's love. So we want to be rooted and, and grounded in that love of God. But the really cool thing is that it is difficult, and I understand, uh, particularly if you haven't spent a lot of time in God's Word and you haven't really pursued a relationship with God or you're still just beginning that, it's, it's difficult to build this relationship with God and say, well, you know, you don't see God. He's not sitting right beside you. Well, he, he is present with you all the time, and we can understand that truth intellectually, but it takes a little while maybe to understand and to see that practically in your life. But to help you to understand that, God has given us this special group of people, the body of Christ, the church. This is a special family, and part of that love that we're rooted and grounded in is this love of the church. Christ died for the church. He loves the church, and He continually says... You need to love each other. It's by the love that you have for each other, people know that you are my disciples. We have this love for each other, and that's part of what helps us to have a life that's, that's worthwhile. You're not just living for yourself, but you understand you're living for other people. You have 
a whole family that that needs you. You've been gifted to help them. They've been gifted to help you. So we need to understand that love that we're rooted and grounded. It is the love that God has for us and we have for him, but it's also this love of the church. He goes on and says that he, in his prayer that he's praying that we will, we will comprehend, that we will understand the width, the length, the depth, and height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, and to be filled with all the fullness of God. We really want us to understand who God is and what he, what he has done. And understand, verse 20, I mean, is just such a powerful verse. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations. So God is able to do more than you think he can. And often uh, we start with such a low view of what's even possible. We're, it wouldn't be hard for God to do more than we think he can because we basically have given up. And that's even in the church. We look at our, our friends and neighbors and say, well, they're never going to get saved. They're never going to change. Uh, society's hopeless. The world is, is gone. Uh, we just, we're ready to give up on, on our community and, and often ready to give up on our church because it's, they're never going to change. That's not true. God is able to do miracles. The thing is, it needs to start with me. It needs to start with you. You need to recognize that God wants to do a miracle in your life. He wants to change your hopelessness to hope. He wants you to recognize that He is working in an amazing way in your life. He wants to give you the ability to look at each new day with joy and recognize that He is there. Romans 8, 14-17, Paul says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. That's part of where our hope and our joy comes from. God doesn't just like me a little bit. He's accepted me into his family. He's accepted you into his family and calls you his, his sons, his daughters. It says, for you do not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. All this fear that, that we have, that the world has, fear of death, fear of financial failure, fear that the, the world's going to fall apart, uh, fear that nobody's going to care about me, that nobody's going to listen to me. So you, you weren't born for that fear. You didn't receive the Holy Spirit to participate in that kind of fear. You receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. You receive the Holy Spirit, which has blessed you and brought you into the family of God. And it says the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. If you have genuinely accepted Christ and you've received the Holy Spirit, then your spirit is calling out to your family, to your God. And if children, then heirs and heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Okay, that should give you a little bit of hope, just a little bit of joy that God has desired for me to be part of His family. And His desires are not based on how well I'm doing in this life, how much money I'm making, uh, how healthy I am, how much I know. I'm accepted based on what Jesus has done. So I can't screw it up either. <laughs> I, I didn't earn it. And I can't lose it based on what I do. That's important. It's important to know. It's important to be able to look at our life and recognize that every day, God has said, I'm with you today. Today, I'm going to walk with you. You may have a difficult time. 
You may have an easy time. It may rain today. It might be sunny. You might have people around you that are happy and, and they're cheerful. You might have people around you that are, are critical and judgmental. Your joy is not anchored in your situation. Your joy is not anchored in your circumstances. Your hope is not anchored in what you can do. You can leave that fear of, of failure, fear of financial problems, uh, fear of death, fear of insignificance. You can lay all that down at the feet of Jesus and say, you know what, today I am not going to worry about those things. I hopefully have enough to eat and a place to stay. We have to look at the example of men like Job. said, even if he slays me, I'm still going to trust him. Because God's doing something that's bigger than my little world. You know, it doesn't matter how much you accomplish, eventually over time, what you accomplished will fall apart. Doesn't matter how famous you are, eventually you will be pretty much forgotten. Doesn't matter what you build, eventually it will be lost and be destroyed. Someone else will take it over and change it. That's not where your joy is. Your hope is not in your legacy. <laughs> a lot of people like to work for their legacy. You're not really going to have much of a legacy. When you stand before God, uh, our legacy is very much tied to Jesus. To know God and to be known by God is the greatest joy you can have. This relationship overrides every trial, every trouble, every struggle that, you, that life can bring your way because those trials, no matter how long they last, they're temporary, but the relationship that we have with God is eternal. What that means is we have to make efforts to live with eternal values. We have to recognize that God has given us eternal relationships. That's both with Him, but also with His church family. It's one reason why the unity of the church is so important. You can't just hope that you're going to get along okay with people. You have to understand that we have to get along with them. These people are God's family. <laughs> he died for them. So we want to live with a knowledge and awareness of these eternal relationships. There's nothing in this life that can compare or even bring you a fraction of the joy that God offers in Himself. So, how are you going to respond to Him? Every day you wake up and you have a new opportunity to look at God afresh. It doesn't matter how well you did yesterday, you get to start again today. The mistakes of yesterday, you can leave in yesterday. You may have some consequences to go forward uh, if you fail miserably, but you can today start anew. And start with understanding that God is with you today, that He wants you to go through today with hope and with joy, and that He goes through today with you. There's no reason to go through today with despair, alone. Pick up the phone, call a member of God's family, and talk to them. Be part of this community that God's given us. It's important. Maybe that person that you call need you more than you need them. Well, thanks for joining me today. You can write me anytime Norman at runwithhorses.net. I look forward to hearing how God is working in you, how God is working through you, how you are pursuing Him. You know, today's trials won't last forever, so keep your eyes on the prize and whatever it takes. Keep running. <laughs>